Welcome to The Alignment Show, featuring conversations with folks who have taken steps to identify their highest values and align their lives around them. Time on this earth is not unlimited, and you may be seeking to make sure you spend your time on things that matter to you. These conversations will encourage you and support you in doing so. Now, let's meet this week's guest on The Alignment Show. And a good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world right now. You are with The Alignment Show once again. We appreciate you being here. My name is Don King. I am your host. And uh, we have another guest lined up this week to talk about living your values and value your life. As we get started, I've got some news to share on the personal front. And we've been talking about the way of the three-year-old why for several months now. The follow-up is just about ready. And I'm looking for... Oh, had a, a little bit of tech issue this morning, so I'm, I'm a little pushed here, but I want to share with you the link down here for getting the first scene from the upcoming book. The, uh, the, the name of that book is Medium Well. I can even show you the cover. It just got released this week, so this is the new cover for the new book. So if you would like to see what that is about... Then uh, for those of you listening, you can go to donking.com, that's D-O-N-N-K-I-N-G.com, slash medium well first, spell out the word first, and you'll be able to see the first scene from medium well. But with that, uh, I am pleased to be able to introduce you to our guest for today. His name is Kevin O'Connor. And uh, Kevin and I were going through, as I said, some tech stuff. So I've turned away from the material that I had lined up to properly introduce him. But but one of the things that uh, uh, really fascinates me about Kevin is how many things he has done in his life. He is an author. We're going to be talking about his book. But the book is based on his experiences growing up. He's been a principal um, I'm he, he's hearing me right now. So, Kevin, I'm going to ask you to kind of introduce yourself a little bit because you've got a standard way that you introduce. But uh, this is going to be a fascinating conversation, folks. Let's go ahead and get Kevin O'Connor on stage. Kevin, hey, welcome to the Alignment Show. Don, I appreciate it. I appreciate uh, this time, this opportunity to be with you and uh, the conversations email-wise and text-wise and this morning that we've had. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm uh, here in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where I've lived since 2007. Uh, prior to that, though, I was... Um, you said I, I had have quite a few experiences, but I think that's part of being almost 74 years old. It's hard to avoid experiences when you get into the septuagenarian stage of life. And um, I, I think you ask about my uh, position statement in, in one of our uh, email dialogues. And I think what I came up with and, and talked about was that I'm blessed to reach this stage in life. Uh, when, I, when I go to my college and high school reunions, I really, I'm often aware of the people that aren't there <laughs> because they haven't had the fortune um, to be there. I'm talking about the ones that aren't there because they've, they've passed on. Yes. Um, but the I, I feel blessed. And to be at this stage in my life, I savor it. I, I, I welcome the opportunities I have and, and value my experiences. Uh, usually, I'm always, not usually, I'm always a cup 
half full, probably closer to uh, three-fourths full person. So that's helped uh, to guide me, uh, you know, guide me in my choices and my decisions and the things that I do. Not that there haven't been challenges, uh, right. certainly those, but I, I think I, I've, uh, in some of the other questions you posed, I was reminded of uh, Robert Frost, the road not taken. You know, there's certainly roads I've taken, certainly roads I haven't. And I, my tendency is to whatever road I take, don't think about the one I didn't take. Just mm. uh, just proceed. Sometimes that road gets taken because I've chosen it. Sometimes factors choose it for me. But in any case, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm not a don't look bad person. I'm just, I, I certainly value memories and value um, those kind of things. But I, I don't look back to say, hey, what if I'd done that instead? I, I don't think that does me any good. So yeah, yeah. that's a little bit of introduction. For, and I, I, again, thanks for having me here today. Well, glad to have you on here. I relate to a lot of what you're saying. I, I am uh, coming up on that seventh decade pretty soon myself. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, my 50th high school reunion is coming up in October. So, uh, oh, have fun. We just had our 55th last July. So, yeah, wow. I treasure reunions. And I, uh, some people aren't as crazy about them as I am, but I, I help plan them sometimes and get involved. And I like doing that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, we're, we're going to be talking quite a bit about the book here today. And so I'm, I want to go ahead and um, show that to folks here because you, you can, you know, you can tell a lot about a book by looking at the cover. Okay, yeah. Uh, and so let's let's just, just see, share screen. Uh, oh, did I close that down? Yeah, I did. You know, when in doing the stuff. Nope, nope, there it is. Why are there? It's like running a starship sometimes. Kevin. Oh, isn't it? Yeah, you are. Uh, yeah, there it is. You are a. Uh, you're you're pretty good. You're very good at this stuff. Thank you for doing uh, your expertise. Well, I, you know, uh, I I determined long ago that I wanted to be in charge of it instead of it being in charge of me. Yeah, that's a good decision. Good yeah. decision. But I mean, this is a great cover on this. And, Thank you. And, good uh, uh subtitle two Thank floors you. above grief that's an intriguing title mm -hmm. and then a memoir of two families in the unique place we called home yeah. and, and and i loved i love this paragraph i'm doing this for the folks who are on audio only are not seeing the website mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um for those listeners especially it says as a child in the 1950s kevin o'connor knew his house was different than his friends a stately three-story 19th century Victorian. His bed tucked next to a stage in a former ballroom. His uncle and aunt lived with their three daughters on the floor below, a large electric organ in a corner of the first floor mortuary business, stacked caskets, and an embalming room in the basement. So we're looking at four levels there. Mm -hmm. Nobody had a house like his. Oh, wow. That is such a sense of place there. Well, thank uh, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how old were you when you realized that you were living someplace different than your friends? Oh, well, I was, bo I was born in 1950. As I say in the book, there's a good chance I was likely conceived in the same building where people were being waked and funeraled. And the first flight, I never had any... Uh, 
verification from my parents. You know, sometimes kids don't ask their parents that. Oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, I, 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 when I was born, I was brought home to this 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 house that's on the cover of the book, this Victorian house built in 1886, and I never knew any different. I never. So when did I first realize it? Probably, uh, I have vague memories of things that I. I have a vague memory of being in my crib once, probably, probably part made up, part part real. But um, and then also times when I was just uh, oftentimes to come in and out of the house with our family, we would walk through the first floor, walk through the funeral home. So I, I was really aware at a young age that uh, of the concept of what the house was for and uh, what my uncle and my dad did as in professionally. So. I'd have to say preschool years was I was first starting to have a concept of what this was and what it was to not only live, but what it was to die and what that meant and what it meant for the people um, who my um, father and my uncle were, were helping at the time. So, yeah, that, and to answer your question, I knew about it from a very young age, very young right, age. Right, right. And, Even, and yeah. what, what I'm thinking about it is, is how would I put this? Um, wasn't a, in a way, it wasn't unusual at the time for people to live above their businesses or whatever. <laughs> uh, but uh, America was shifting more towards suburban kind of houses, uh, one level ranches and all that. And so you would go to your friends' houses. Mm-hmm. Well, this is different. You know, where's your business? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and, and so there would be a dawning at some point that, uh, you know, I'm living in unusual circumstances compared to most people. Yeah. Um, and I get, you know, fairly obvious that um, you would have an early awareness of uh, death and the nature of death, something that our culture tends to kind of hide or hide from. Mm-hmm. Um, did, uh, and I'm going to make a little sideways comment here. I, I grew up in a little West Tennessee town, a uh, population of about 8,000 people. And and some of my friends were the folks who owned the local funeral home. This was sure. back before the consolidation of the industry. And, yeah. and uh, uh, so it was it was very much, as you describe, an old, uh, I would guess the house was probably built in the same time period that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we didn't tend to go visit over mm-hmm. there. You know, uh-huh, and so did, uh-huh. did your friends come to the house? Uh, oh, yeah. Private, private living area? And- no. And part of the story that I tell in the book is just um, how my aunt and uncle, my mom and dad, they sort of, uh, there's, they normalized it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they normalized where we lived. They normalized the atmosphere. Our, our uh, apartments were um, above, of course, where the funeral was. And then set my we through the most uh, uh, the families they would come, they would use that to to get there and um and so yeah it wasn't uncommon for my brothers and I to have our friends over we had sleepovers we had a basketball hoop in the backyard we had play areas we the neighborhood's kids came over or school friends came over I went to our houses um the whole you know whole concept of sleepovers and uh, doing things with with playing was uh, it was normal to my friends too uh some of them we still talk about it yeah you know, how uh they were as welcome at my house my apartment um and they knew my uncle uh, they, my uncle knew them 
Uh, they it was they were as welcome at our house. I call the house not a funeral home. They they mm. were as welcome at our house as I was at theirs. So it was uh, a very um, and part of what I bring out in the book is is how my dad and uncle separated the best part from the family life. Uh, they they had a, a pride and a. They want. They develop trust uh, in their clients, and part of that trust was was due to their discretion, and due mm-hmm. to their discretion and keeping the matters of, of the, the the client's business themselves. So, Dad, uh, I have very little memories, probably none, of, of Dad uh, bringing the stories of the f- business and the families up to our apartment. Certainly I knew he was busy and I certainly knew I might have known the name of the people and even maybe knew the person who had passed. But I didn't know um, necessarily all the, the intricacies of death. People ask me, oh, what was it like? How, what did you know? What did you? I said, I really didn't know much hmm. about the business because I, uh, I, I was more than an observer. I consider myself an ambassador of the funeral home, but but I didn't. Uh, Dan and Uncle Lauren did The older I get, uh, the more I find out, even in writing the book. And since I wrote the book, the more I find out about their approach, I just, my respect for them increases. So Mm. a long answer to your question, one of my friends welcome in the house. Yeah, we did a lot of social things together. And and it also helped when my dad would need to when he was uh, at the case uh, where the, fan, the the deceased didn't have family or might have been um, a homeless person or person who uh, didn't didn't have anybody come, he dad needed ball bearers. So he when I was school, he was he would, even early college he would call me and say, "Hey, get your friends over here, um, come on over. They can be ball bearers." And so. And he taught us. He taught us uh, together, uh, my friends as well. They still, some of them still talk about, you know, just how he guided us and we, what we learned uh, in that. And in that, my friends are very much included in that way. Yeah, yeah, and I, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's a, it's part of life. Um, mm-hmm. the, the curiosity is the funeral home still operating. I mean, this mm-hmm. is many years ago, so. Yeah, I can give a little background there. My family owned the business from 1930 at two different locations. Uh, uh, the, the one I talk about in the book mostly is the one that's pictured on the front cover. Uh, they owned it, so they owned the business and were established in the business from 1930 to 1984. That's what my dad died for. Only 71. So um, it was in the process of being sold as, as he was getting through his uh, last uh, months of cancer. But uh, and then since that time, the funeral home has gone maybe one, two, three, maybe different owners. But the funeral mm-hmm. home is still in existence, same building. So now mm-hmm. uh, a gentleman named Tom Leitz has the funeral home, and he, like people that were prior to him, uh, since my since the business was sold, it's now Leitz O'Connor Funeral Home in Elgin. So we're it's now in the ninety fourth year of business. So wow. Now, business will have been established in the town for a hundred years, and I, I, I'm pretty proud—not pretty—I'm very proud of what my uncle and dad started and the longevity and the legacy that it has had. So, 
It's still business. Still a business. Mm-hmm. And as a part of that curiosity question, um, not passing judgment on the trends in the industry or whatever, but as we mm-hmm. have kind of alluded to already, independent family-owned funeral homes are kind of a rarity these days. It used to be the the standard, but it's kind of rare. And so it's still independent or small local chain or? Well, I have some recent data on that. I, I don't have it in front of me. I'll do it from memory. I just, I gave a yeah. presentation yesterday, an online presentation to uh, a, a, a group that provides uh, training and professional development for people in death care history. We had about, about uh, I think, almost a thousand people signed up and uh, I think 700 were in attendance. And part of that was some polling. And part of it was how I related my experiences about living in the actual building. And then uh, the people that uh, on the um, yesterday, very uh, lower percentage now, probably less than 50 percent live with it, you know, in the facility. And that was not the case uh, in my father's time. And most of his colleagues lived right in the funeral home. And certainly it, it was a, it, it was a, you needed to do that because prior to the conveniences we have now with telephones and I mean, our funeral home was be, be way before beepers. Our funeral home started in the area when all the telephone calls had to go through an operator. So, I mean, that, that was um, so many changes. And somebody needed to be on the premises. Somebody needed to be there. Not for sure when there was a wake or a funeral, but also if the phone was to ring and uh, somebody had died, you need to go help the family. Or my dad and uncle also had an ambulance service that was tied into the police department. So when there was a head, you would go. So there was very few times that um, my dad and uncle, there, one of them was there in the house all the time. If they had to scoot away, then my aunt or my mom would answer the phone and, and take care of things as quick as they could. So, but back to your question, certainly in many changes in the industry, and dad and dad, Uncle Lawrence came in at a time when funerals were just starting to move to funeral homes. In the early part of the 20th century, funerals and wakes were held in the house of the deceased. And yeah. around in the 20s and 30s, people started to make a move, say, let's put in one place so the family doesn't have to deal with having that grief right in their own house. And that's uh, part of the, the history of how funeral homes got started. And the proprietor, in this case, my dad and uncle, lived right close by. But as I said, just, and yesterday with the, the polling during this uh, presentation, I learned from them that a lot of them don't live on the premises. They live away in a house of their own or a location of their own. And they probably, and in some of the big uh, big places, they probably have scheduled hours they go. You know, they're, they're, they're assigned time. They're on duty. It wasn't the case with, with the Walmarts. They're on duty 24-7, 365 days a year. So yeah. that's certainly a difference uh, in, the, in the way the industry's changed. So it's uh, phone calls at 2 o'clock in the morning, not unusual, oh, yeah. of course. Oh, um, uh, so part of my home, you're the ring and learn. For a period, I was just going to fall back asleep, but the phone would ring. I hear my dad; he'd leave the house, and I'd just go back to sleep. So yeah, yeah, that, that was just yeah. the the way that uh, that life went. I could see that. Um, 
I'm thinking about uh, right now, if I understand correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, okay. you did not then go into the family business. You went into education as a career. Right, right, right. And right. Uh, teacher, principal, uh, there's, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of stuff that you do in that area as well. Yes. So yes. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, um, as, as you looked at writing this book, which okay. is, you know, kind of what we're focusing on right now. What brought you to writing? Mm -hmm. What brought you to writing about that instead of, say, a memoir of your observations as being a principal? Because I know there's all kinds of stories there. Oh, I've got some <laughs> books in mind, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what led you to go back to this memoir and to now be speaking once again to the funeral industry and all that sort of thing? Great question. Um, each, each of our lives has journeys, you know. I yeah. uh, remember walking on a beach in South Carolina with some college friends and our families in 1993. And we're talking, we're, we're then at uh, 93, 43 years old, thinking about, hey, what's our next, what do we want to do with our lives? I said, I want to write a book. What do you want to write a book about? I don't know. I just want to write a book. Um, so uh, at that time, I was in the midst of getting my doctorate and writing a dissertation. So, and being in the education profession, I was no stranger to writing. And even going back to elementary high school days in college, I would gravitate to things where I would be put in a position of writing. I've always enjoyed that part. So um, what is to do book? Um, part of it was, uh, we talked about the, uh, we talked a little bit about the cover, I think, and the background, but part of it, and I think I might've mentioned before that the book and the book is based on 700 pages of letters that were written back and forth between my parents. And I'm not mostly from 1969 to 73, but some of the letters go back to the thirties and, um, and through the passage of time, I ended up, I had a lot of the letters just because I kept them myself, but then other family, hey, I found this letter from your dad or so-and-so. I became the keeper of the letter. So as uh, I was finishing up my career, uh, the last five, six years of my career in education, I finally, I sat down, what am I going to do with these letters? And so I figured out a way to organize them and, and have started teaching seminars on how to organize family letters. Hmm. I did that and developed a way to see now, now what am I going to do with these? Because I, I was, as I organized them, I was reading them again, and I started to see the characters of my mom and my dad and my aunt and uncle, my cousins, my brothers, come out. And I thought, ah, this, this is some, uh, this is an important story for our family. But then, as I started writing, uh, um, so what the motivation then was to start writing. And even though I'd written a lot of educational type writing, I thought, well, this memoir stuff's a little different, uh, nonfiction. So I, um, uh, I met with a person and was fortunate enough to get into a program called Nonfiction School, nonfictionbookschool.com, Stacy Ennis, and her program uh, and the colleagues that she worked with, we, and we had about eight, 10, eight, 10 people in our cohort over a period of uh, five months and just guided me through the steps that it would take to put, to get these ideas together. I, I did that and uh, she and her team kept motivating me to keep going. In fact, the title of the book came from one of our sessions. This is as the other author, authors and I brainstormed. That's where the title came from. That was an exciting day. Um, 
but and then I just kept going and uh, with Stacy said I started working with another group called My Word Publishing uh, and they guided me uh, and still do uh, with how do you how do you publish a book how do you get it onto Amazon how do you get your cover design that's where the cover person how do you they direct me to some editors that did some uh, two or three edits so the motivation was I had all these letters I had all these stories in my head as you you started this when did I first learn I learned at a preschool age so it, it, the stories were there the relationships with my friends were there my, and my family and I thought I want to write this and I write so I thought I put this in paper I'm gonna, well now it's on paper and audio and Kindle so I'm going to put this down and I just then it just takes that just I don't I'm trying to get the word just out of my vocabulary because nothing is ever simple. <laughs> nothing is ever as simple as just, just do this. You know? True, true. Yeah. So I just, I, then I, I, I was going to discipline myself. I set myself, now that I was fully retired from my educational position, I had time. I had fewer excuses for not to do this. And I just, but I, at the same time, in order to get it done, I, I put a, a week. At five hours a day, that I just focused on whatever step I was at in the process, and that's what really just kept propelling me to get it all done and finished. Yeah, yeah. And and by the way, when you go back and listen to this, you will you will hear that we've got a little tech issue still. There's sounds breaking up, but oh, I think right. people are going to be able to follow it. We're getting about eighty percent of it, so they're going to get Great. it. Okay, yeah, I'm not hearing it at all on my end. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So and it may be my connection. Uh, the recording may be just fine. We'll find out. Okay. But, All righty. Uh, I did want to ask, uh, as as because I was taking some notes for the show notes. Say again, <laughs> it was nonfictionbooksomething.com. Oh I'll yeah, all- yeah, yeah. It's it's all probably one word: nonfictionbookschool.com. Okay. And uh, right. the proprietor, the person who started this and been doing it for 10 or 12 years now, her name is Stacy S-E-N-N-I-S. She has a great program, and she and I, um, the relationship, and I've been doing some, starting to do some other kind of work together uh, to help writers succeed in their efforts to, to get a book uh, written and published. Very good, very good. In fact, as you're working in the the memoir genre, that is a very interesting genre in and of itself. Uh, mm-hmm. It is nonfiction, as you say, but mm-hmm. it also has its issues or challenges, I, I guess I would say, because you're bringing in other people's lives. Right. Uh, and there is still the need to tell a good story. You're, you're not mm-hmm. twisting the facts, mm-hmm. but you do have character and scene setting and of. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, inciting incidents and all of those kind of things that we would see in a good fiction book. Very different from academic writing, as you mentioned. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very it's, much so. Very so much what so. would you say was your biggest obstacle to overcome in writing that type of book? Okay. The memoir, right? Um, yeah. The biggest obstacle is part of sort of what I was, what I've ordered addressed before was just the discipline, <laughs> getting mm. it done and, and knowing the importance of having a routine. Certainly I had routines as a, in my person, but those times a day were, uh, was set by a school system for, you know, your school day and whatever responsibilities I had for meetings or evening type stuff that was set 
by my profession. So mm-hmm. I followed those schedules. Once I got on my own, I needed to own schedule. I uh, wanted to keep some routine. So, uh, so, so what could have become an obstacle? I made it work because I committed myself. I looked at, the, you have to look at the, for me, I had to look at the, the long game and I had to look at what is my goal here? What is my mission? What is um, my position and my value? And I said, hey, after all this time, I want to get this book written. What do I need to do to get to it? And taking the classes, being an educator, I'm never averse to taking classes. So, because yeah. uh, I can always learn from other people. And, and taking those classes, uh, I did so for me and just said, do this. And I just figured, and I listened. <laughs> I can't, if you're telling me uh, to do this, it's worked for other people. I'm going to do it as well. The same thing I would have done as a teacher when I was teaching second grade. Hey, do it this way and you'll get to where you want to be. So um, I think the back helped me uh, to, to overcome the obstacles that I, I could have uh, could have put up or could have let stand there uh, in my writing process. But I, I just I just kept at it, kept at it and helped the, kept the discipline going. Wow. Wow. Uh, and it, your first book of this sort. Uh, and let's give a little bit of I'm bumbling to say four or five things at once here, Kevin. And it's not working very well. We have focused on the book and what's behind this book and all this kind of thing. And I, I said starting out, it amazes me how much Kevin has done. Uh, his other writings include a dissertation, articles, anthologies. Okay, he provides training in university and professional settings. As you can tell, I found the material here. He's guested <laughs> on more than 20 podcasts. Uh, he resides in Fort Lauderdale with his husband, Leon. You have done advocacy for LGBTQ, um, the professional education stuff. There's so much more that we could talk about. But oh, yeah. uh, I'll, come, I'll come back. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I think we're probably going to need to do that. Um <laughs> So I had asked about uh, the next project, and you've got you've got more books coming. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I've turned it. There's the beginning a second book. So is it uh, going to be a different kind of book? Uh, what well, do you I got a couple. Book? Yeah, and I, uh, being a writer, being enjoying the writing process, and having all these stories uh, and, and uh, diving in my head, um, the, I got a pick one to start with next. So I'm going to, uh, building on what I've got right now with this Two Floors Above Grief, I'm going to focus on um, uh, additional letters here in my collection and stories from my, my parent Bell. How does an undertaker, and this came up in my discussion yesterday with, with the industry, what is an undertaker? What is a funeral director? Uh, we, they are nowadays, they might be called death care professionals. What do they do to get? What do they do to handle their own grief? They take on the burden, take on the of uh, family's grief, and they they help that family get through. But they take on that grief. In addition, a funeral, uh, a person in the industry isn't removed from having those personal experiences in their own life. So, what what is a was a person do to for physical, mental, and emotional health. Well, one of the things my family did is took vacations. And it might have been just a, you know, 
a two-week trip to a, a cabin in Wisconsin or something, or my aunt and uncle would take road trips and, and drive around. Uh, but it was just a way to get away from the... I have a collection of letters. I have a collection of... Um, so the next book is going to be, instead of Two Floors Above Grief, it, the tentative title is Navigating from Grief. And uh-huh. what what is uh, what what uh, what was my experience with my own family about how my dad and my uncle, my aunt and um, the the grief that was surrounding them, uh, even though you know it, the business was on the first floor, you couldn't help but um, tune in a little bit to whatever that particular family was going through. I, my of course, my dad and my uncle knew it intimately. I just become my own the family or the a little bit of the story behind the sadness that went with it the, what the family was going to do those kind of things so what does an undertaker do they navigate from grief so that's my second my next book that i'm working on and then i have other you related things to my profession um, it's still a nonfiction area but i, I want to do things that tie in professionally to my 50 years of experiences as an educator, uh, what it was like as a principal, what it was like as a teacher. I want to get into what is it that kids remember about their teacher or their classroom? Mm. Oh, my students, I had my first students in 1974. Um, so I'm endeavoring to get a hold of as many students as I can through social media. And say, what do you remember about our classroom? What do you remember about me? Uh, I might relate to them. I remember my education. But, and, uh, and for me, it's just a, a little glimmer of this teacher and that teacher. And I, that's all I expect people to remember. Um, mm-hmm. But still, I'd like to know what's stuck for those kids. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so once I get this Navigating from Grief book, and I may work on this concurrently, doing some research to get of uh, my former students, not only when I was a teacher, but during the 21 years I was uh, a principal. What is it that kids, now that they're adults, some of them in their 50s and 60s, what do they remember? What did they take away? What triggers their memory? And probably uh, good thoughts in there and not so good thoughts, whatever. And I want to use that that book as a, as a way to uh, provide some resources for people that are current in the education profession. So that's the uh, next projects that are percolating right here in my, in my head. Uh, that's what I'm working on next. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I'm not going to stand up to show it, but the T-shirt that I'm wearing right now says, I'm a writer. I make the voices in my head work for me. Oh, so, wow. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you are harnessing those voices very effectively. <laughs> yeah, I have a time if you see my t-shirt. My t-shirt yeah, says, uh, "I like that. I like uh, that." Yeah, uh, from a local bookstore. Free, free for those for audio listeners. It's freedom, but the uh, instead of F R E E, it's F R E A. So freedom, I think, is an a very apropos t-shirt now for some of the things that are going on with unfortunately with some oh, of yeah. our books and thing and like so. Uh, I, I like to wear this T-shirt sometimes. So I'm on pad podcast or doing presentations and things. So yeah, like I I'd like to get access to the T-shirt you have. That'd be great. 
<laughs> my, my, my wife found them somewhere. I'll, I'll yeah, try to yeah. let you know where that was. Uh, oh, but it, uh, your T-shirt made me think about a, uh, a thing I've heard many times over the years. For whatever it's worth, I teach college students. And so um, I, yeah, I remember you referenced that on one of my prior listings to you. Yeah. 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 And, and so as I tell them, people who don't read have no uh, advantage over people who can't read. And so, you know, mm-hmm. reading is the the closest thing to a superpower that most of us have. And I, I'm, yeah, I encourage yeah. Big and I think to build on that a little bit, you know, people that don't read, you know, they have audio books. If, if there's a way you can get some other people's ideas into your head and just take pleasure and they forget. I, I think that's uh, that's testimony and, and uh, I treasure other authors and it's impossible to read the four million books that were published uh, yeah. each year. How would we ever do that? But uh, there's certainly other ways to, to pick pieces and bits pieces and just kind of book it in for. That's it. Indeed, indeed. Well, Kevin, I'm looking at the clock and realizing regular listeners to the show know this. We have always aimed for half an hour. I don't think I've ever done one that was just a half an hour. There's always more to talk about. Uh, But we want to respect people's time. So um, if you can hang out in the green room for just a moment so that I can properly thank you after we get off the air. I'll tell folks about what's coming up next week. And thank you, thank you for being with us. Oh, yeah, and thank you for having that running commentary about how to get hold of me at kevinoconnorauthor.com. And I know that'll be in the show notes as well. For that side, leave their email and contact me. And I'm available, and I have a newsletter that comes out. So once they sign up on my website, they'll be getting access to my newsletter that usually comes out once a week, so. Okay, very good. And, and you know, I tend to forget that, yeah, the crawl down there doesn't show to the audio listeners. So mm-hmm. just one more mm-hmm. time to say for those folks, KevinO'ConnorAuthor.com. Uh, and I think uh, th- there's nothing unusual in the way Kevin or O'Connor is spelled. Uh, but it yeah, just will make, be. Yeah, O'Connor is always spelled O-R at the end. Just be sure it's Kevin O'Connor. Oh, that's O'Connor. right. That is a variation. Some so, people uh, spell O'Connor E-R, but that won't get to my web. That's true. That's true. And you can always find the link at confidencecultivators.com. That's where the the show will be housed. So all of those links, uh, we've shared some here, but there's, there's uh, Facebook and there's, there's some um, Instagram and all those kind of things. You'll get those in the show notes as well. Thank you, Don. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'll be right back with you in just a second. And so, folks, once again, fascinating conversation here. Uh, I relate to so much of what Kevin is talking about. You can't live this long without having experiences. And I want to encourage the listeners here to think about your own experiences in these kind of terms. People tend to take their own experiences for granted. And it is through our most unique experiences that we connect with each other on the most universal level. So uh, keep that in mind. We are here on The Alignment Show aiming to help you live your values and value your life, as we frequently say. Looking to next week, uh, there's no relationship here. It happens our guest next week will be Deborah Keevan. She spells her last name the same way as Kevin, but, you know, we've got got a lot of Kevins coming up here. But Deborah Keevan is the founder and chief inspiration officer of Highlander Press, 
And so just like uh, Kevin was talking about with with writing and the importance of books, uh, Deborah loves helping change makers tap into and share their stories of healing and truth with impactful books. So that's going to be another fascinating conversation here on The Alignment Show. Be sure and keep an eye on the calendar. Watch for that next week. You can always catch the replays, of course, but we like to have people here live when we can just for the interaction. In any case, we will look forward to seeing you next week on The Alignment Show. That's it for this week's episode of The Alignment Show. What has it inspired you to do in your own life? Whatever it is, take action now and take the first step. It will help you to talk with a friend about what you're thinking. Share confidencecultivators.com to spread the goodness. And remember to live your values and value your life. We will see you next week on The Alignment Show.